Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our expectations series today. Today we're talking about Keaton Mitchell and Patrick Queen. Again, always one offensive player, one defensive player. Joining me to do this is Brandon Croxton. Brandon, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Ken. Always good to talk to you. Always have fun with these. It, the, this has been a lot of fun, Brandon. And, and we've just met maybe three months ago, something like that. And you've been on about four or five shows already and uh, yeah. just been terrific uh, doing these with you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's it, it hasn't been a... Uh, a long time, but I've been listening to the show for a long time, so it feels like I've known you for years. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice to say. Uh, so let's talk, jump in right about with Keaton Mitchell. Uh, we start uh, East Carolina grad, 5'8", 179. The, the big thing that uh, really made him stand out and was p- part of my pre-draft review of the running backs, uh, 437 speed. I think that was the number that uh, jumped off the page at everybody. A nice 38-inch vert and a 10-6 broad, so he has good jumps. Um, he's also only 21, 21 and a half now, I guess most of the running backs in this draft and, and in every draft tend to be on the younger side where linemen tend to be a little older. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, that 437, uh, speed is what jumped out to me as well. He, he's, you know, he's definitely a smaller back, uh, 100, 180 pounds is very light for, for a running back, um, you're not expecting probably a lot of power runs between the between the guards uh, at that frame, but um, he's you know he he's very fast. You can definitely um, attack the corner, get to the edge very well with that speed, and he does have some quickness as well. So it's it's uh you know it's something exciting to see of you know potential you break out uh, on the edge, and you know he could take it 80 yards pretty easily. Yeah, ma- massive career at ECU as a junior. He had 201 carries for 1,452 yards. That was over seven yards per carry. Uh, he also had 60 catches in his career for 7.8 yards per target. Now, that's a pretty good total for a running back. Running backs don't pile up yards per target numbers like receivers do. They tend to be a little shorter, a lot of yards behind the line of scrimmage. They Oftentimes, they're Yak total will exceed their yardage total, meaning they have a negative average depth of reception. Uh, but uh, Mitchell, a multi-threat guy on the surface, at least in terms of being a, a some option as a receiver. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's, you know, he's with that speed. You definitely want to get a guy like that in space. Um, route running should be something that they should be working on for him um, and getting him out in space to just get that speed out there. Um, it was, I was surprised he was an undrafted free agent. I mean, he was probably Very worthwhile surprising. of, yeah, worth a fifth round pick. I, I would have guessed, but yeah. Oh, it's, he's one of those surprising falls out of the draft and hopefully that's to the Ravens benefit. 
yeah, I was, I was exceptionally surprised as well. Uh, he he is a uh, the son of Anthony Mitchell, who if you don't remember that name in Ravens history, you probably ought to. Anthony Mitchell is the man who returned the 90-yard blocked field goal in the 2000 Tennessee playoff win. So they win in Tennessee. is the only game at all. The Ravens were challenged during the regular season uh, with the game 10-10. Uh, I think it was about 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter. The, the Tennessee lined up for, for a field goal to try and take the lead. It looked like it was very, very difficult for the Ravens to move the ball. That would have been an enormous score in the game. Instead of three points for, for Tennessee, Keith Washington blocks the football, goes straight up in the air. Anthony Mitchell collected it after several Ravens are waving their hands to let it go because a, a, a blocked field goal um, uh, is like a punt when it goes beyond the line of scrimmage in terms of the, uh, you know, the the liveness of the ball. So if you fumble it or you touch it, the other team can recover it if you uh, if you do. But anyway, he caught he caught it in the air, took it up the right sideline. The the Ravens remarkably transitioned to blockers just like that after he caught the ball, which was which is a darn good thing because they needed a good block on Whitecheck to uh, to spring him for the entire distance. And uh, that is was Anthony Mitchell's big moment as a Raven. And uh, and it was, frankly, the biggest play in Ravens history in terms of their championship winning probability until the Maya High miracle. Yeah, I, I can remember that play, him just snatching that ball out of the air and just taking off down down the sideline. And you, you saw the block set up and he was he was gone. I think he had one guy to beat and he cut back over mm-hmm. the middle of the field and took it the distance. And yeah, I, I remember that game fondly. Yeah, great. <laughs> you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great run for sure. And of course, when you're in a, when you're the field goal kicking team and the fastest guy on the defense gets the ball in his hand, it's an uh Oh situation right away. You, you, have you, have you played on some field goal blocker or, or, uh, or, or on the wing or anything on the field goal team? I've played uh, defensive line on on field goal block. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never played on the field goal block team, the, the field goal team. But yeah, block. Yeah, pushing uh, to try and block a field goal. I've done a few times. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, very good. Anyway, uh, I'm sure Anthony extremely proud. Uh, his son looks like a tremendous athlete. Uh, you know, one of the things that I noticed about Keaton that made him very intriguing a player is that he really seems to um, do a very good job reading opposing leverage. And we talk about this with, with Lamar Jackson a lot. You know, there are other players in the NFL who are every bit as fast as, as Lamar Jackson. In fact, Keaton Mitchell is substantially faster. I would say than Lamar Jackson, even though there was some bogus four thirty four time ascribed to Jackson at some point or unverified, we'll we'll call it. Mm -hmm. What makes Jackson amazing is not his Ross, you know, linear speed. It's his ability to make people miss and ability to to throw a little wiggle on a defender, know exactly when he's got him timed up, and then make it break his ankles and make him and make him miss at that point. Always see Lamar kind of running in third gear uh, to that end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. I think you say it best. Like he he is. I I kind of equated to his ability to just see the lane that isn't quite there. I almost consider it like Magic Johnson with a pass. Like he he can see defenders moving and 
can just see the lane when it's not there and it's not obvious to anybody else. And Magic could zip that ball in there. You know, Lamar can stop on a dime and, you know, go go left or go right and just find that hole where where nobody where it wasn't originally and it's it, it it's something very special to see yeah it's remarkable anyway I, th- I saw a fair amount of that in level two and level three a lot of wiggle in keaton mitchell's game in terms of making defenders wish, uh, uh, miss and uh you know a leverage reader there that uh that, that i think uh, ravis fans will be very excited to see i mean justice hill just about as fast as Keaton Mitchell, maybe a little bit slower, or he was anyway at one time. I think maybe he's he's uh, substantially faster. Mitchell will be substantially uh, faster now. Um, but the other thing about Mitchell's game was that very patient runner in the backfield. So you see a little bit of this Le'Veon Bell type running where he waits mm-hmm. for a lane to open, waits for things to set up. And I think he, he, he does a very good job of getting rewarded for that when he gets into that uh, second and third level. Yeah, I think his patient style is, you know, it really much re- reminds you of Le'Veon Bell, except he he just has a much bigger burst and acceleration and, you know, long speed than Le'Veon probably ever did. Um, and so the hope is if, if he could be half the player Le'Veon Bell is, they got to steal. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like um, I do Le'Veon Bell is a good comp as far as his running style, at least. Definitely. The Ravens have lacked the last couple of years. They've gone for a a group of elder statesmen in terms of the running backs when they've had to fill voids on the roster. And they really haven't had a player like Mitchell. Uh, Who was the guy they had? Tyson Williams. Um, who who was a speedier back who could really hit the outside um, and and run out a sidecar through a mesh point and then uh, threaten the edge to to clear space for Lamar in the middle of the field or or uh, you know actually take the ball himself and and make a big play. But uh, Keith Mitchell seems like that kind of guy. And I, one of the real questions is going to be can he figure out the mesh point as a runner. Right. I think that's the biggest uh, challenge for any young running back, especially if they didn't come out of it out of college, is trusting Lamar because Lamar likes to hold on to that ball um, for a long time. So being able to hold the ball without, you know, squeezing it too hard or too soft that he drops it um, is going to be a challenge and it's going to be a learning adjustment for him. Yeah, it's been the cause of definitely been the cause of some fumbles. You know, even some good backs have had trouble uh, with it in their first years working with Lamar. And I'm thinking specifically of Gus Edwards as, as a guy who the ball ended up on the ground a fair amount in 2018 uh, as part of Lamar's uh, large fumble total that year. Uh, but the only guy who's ever really been fantastic with that mesh point is Mark Ingram, who just he could you could wait as long as you wanted to pull it. And he said, you take as long as you want, just pull it hard when you, when you need to do it, make sure it comes out hard. And so hopefully Mitchell, uh, that's something he does in a lot of ways. Mitchell might be the most, most important back entering camp. The Ravens don't have anyone signed for 2024 at all. Uh, and not true. Justice Hill is signed for two years. So he'll be around, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but Gus Edwards and JK Dobbins are not. Right. What do you make out of the long-term need for a player like Mitchell? Um, 
yeah, that was part of uh, one of my great season uh, thoughts is for him to become a uh, good option as a split carry back for 24 and beyond. Um, the, the Ravens are going, they have, they have to be looking both for a veteran running back and probably draft a running back next year because all they have is Justice Hill under contract. So um, Mitchell has an opportunity to, you know, not only make the team, but be on the team for a couple of years if he can show that he can handle the mesh point, be that outside edge um, threat that they need um, when they, you know, threaten the outside with him and shoot Lamar up the middle and vice versa. So, um, yeah, he's he's got an opportunity to, you know, do some things uh, next year, and the Ravens are definitely going to give him a long look and try to hold on to him if he really shows that he can be a decent back. Yeah, are are you at all intrigued by how Monken might use a player like Mitchell, who seems to have, you know, not all the normal running back traits? With one of the ones being decidedly missing is he's really too small to be an effective pass blocker, and that showed up in college a lot. Is that he just he does not really seem to have the chops for that, and that is something you typically want in on a third down back. What do you think about Munkin's usage of him? Yeah. Um, so Munkin's talked about, he wants to challenge a defense uh, you know, vertically and horizontally. I think he said something mm-hmm. like he wants to def- make the defense defend every blade of grass or think something like that. Um, but which means, he needs to be able to challenge a defense horizontally and, and vertically. Um, uh, Roman was very good at challenging a team horizontally with the running game. Um, that's something that I'm sure the the Ravens don't want to get rid of. Want to, they don't want to throw that in, in the trash can, but a guy like Mitchell who can get to the outside is somebody that is a threat. Um, defenses fear speed and speed is something they 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 don't mind giving up a four-yard play they don't want to give up a 40-yard play and a guy like Mitchell can get a 40-yard play in a hurry if one person misses and with that speed so that's that's something that defense will definitely pay attention to and the, the Ravens are certainly looking to take advantage of that that sort of thing. See, I I was going to throw my own two cents in, but I wanted to leave over what you had to do with it first. But um, it seems like sidecar, not pistol, is the natural place for a guy like him if you want to naturally stretch the field in one direction. Pistol is more of a power back option, uh, where then Lamar becomes the outset outside threat if you're going to mesh and pull that ball potentially. But uh, the other thing I'm intrigued with with Mitchell is that he could be used as a gadget player. Um, Generally, you want a speed guy for that. You probably don't want to take your top receiving option out of the play with orbit motion or even jet motion if you can help it by using a Zay Flowers, say, there. That would be kind of a shame if you if you if you lost some of the vertical stretching of the field because you wanted to stretch the field horizontally with your best wide receiver. But the, the other thing I'm thinking is that you could put him in in a pony situation or you can put him in as the single back, flex him out wide, have him orbit back around or have him jet in through the backfield. And then you get a lot of that potential for gadgetry uh, that they got out of a player like Devin Duvernay the last couple of years. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, he, like you were saying, he struggles in pass protection. So a traditional third down back, he's probably not in, in the cards for him. So, mm -hmm. but being able to get a guy like that, who's got good agility and good speed, getting him on screens, getting him on jet sweeps, things like that. The more ways you can get him in space, the more ways you can get him in non-conventional ways is a great way to threaten the defense. Yeah, you get, might get a one-on-one -on -one matchup against a linebacker, which you, you're probably always looking for with a player like this. Um, but uh, yeah, potentially very exciting. Look back at his college career a little bit. There are some context issues with his stats. Now he piled up great total stats, um, but he did have uh, more of his great games against lesser teams. And the one exception was Cincinnati, where he, he always pretty much ran well against him. And the Bearcats, of course, been a been a, a powerful team the last few years. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. I didn't. I didn't really look too much you know how he dominated so yeah uh, that, I, yeah that's uh, that's okay um uh yeah i expect to be drafted too i've got to i'm looking through my notes and you've hit on some of these uh, items already um if if you're trying to figure out what you do with keaton mitchell there is kind of a tripwire waiting for the ravens so they get to the end of camp and assuming that there's no holdout and there's no injury and you know you have J.K. Dobbins. I don't think he's really planning to hold out, but but he's but you know he, he is unhappy, no doubt, not having a, an extension. And I don't think you know just looking at the Ravens' cap space and everything that's going on, I don't think J.K. Dobbins is going to get an extension that he wants from the Baltimore Ravens. I think he's probably going to have to wait until the end of the year and cash in, and he, he should cash in very well with whoever he's playing for in twenty four. But assuming everybody is still healthy, depth holds up. Uh, and the, 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 I'll call them the big three because Justice Hill played a fair amount of third down last year, but those guys are all ready to go. What do you do with Keaton Mitchell? Because there's probably, I'm thinking, not room for a fourth back on the roster. Yeah, um, I think Justice Hill is his main competition um, to be on the active 53 for the, for the year. Um, you said Justice Hill is only he's only he's under contract through two for the next two years. Two so years, yep. um if they could have if he shows that he could be at least as good as Justice is on special teams and um you know certainly a reset essentially with him being on the team for four years of control would be a better option um for this year. Uh, if he can, yeah, if he can beat out Justice Hill. Otherwise, I, I, I would be surprised if he's not on the practice squad, at least, um, with a couple of elevations here and there, depending on injury situation or matchups. Right. Yeah. That's that's certainly possible. I guess my the, the fear I was kind of leading to was that, uh, and I do think that's probably where he ends up, by the way, so I think you're right, but that um, – you you run the risk every week and an increasing risk every week that a kind of a priority UDFA like Mitchell, uh, particularly if he does anything in an elevation, for example, becomes a target for another team as they their depth starts to degrade. So you know it's I I I don't think he's going to last till say November on the practice squad without being poached. So you may it may be a situation where you have to somehow get him onto the roster. They do have one other backdoor they can use with those designated to return IRDTR. Um, they don't have to designate who's returning, 
but they could get him onto the roster initially if he has a minor injury during camp and then bring him back anytime after week four. So he eventually effectively stays on the roster as an available player for the Ravens that way. Can't practice if that's the case until three weeks before, but, but, uh, but he could be made available in, uh, in that way. So that's, there are some tricks the Ravens could play if they really, really like him. But I think the moment he breaks off a couple of really big runs in a preseason game, the targeting will get more intense from other teams in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. Like the Ravens, I I think probably all, you know, the other 31 teams always look at the Ravens, what their, what their practice squad is, uh, situation is like, because I think we, every year we probably get one or two of our guys poached, um, (laughs) you know, to go on active rosters. So, um, it's definitely a possibility. So you, you're right. Like he may end up, you know, getting, getting a, uh, getting a hangnail and uh, ending up on IR for part of the, to start the season or something like that. So (laughs) I guess we'll see. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be interesting. It's easy to see that kind of thing uh, as being a, a reasonable plan anyway. Okay. So now let's put you in the shoes of Anthony Mitchell right now. So you've been to an NFL camp and you've obviously had experience playing college ball. What do you try and tell your son, Keaton Mitchell, about how he should be, what he should try and do as a first-year player in Ravens camp, in dealing with the coaches, in in making himself at home and and be seen in that environment? Um, the probably the two most important words for him are "yes, coach." If the coach asks them <laughs> to, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, like uh, I, I got to the advice when I was getting married. The the most important, two most yes. important words are yes, dear. Um, for him, should be yes, coach. Um, if they want to try him at kick return or punt returner, say yes, coach. If you want to, he he needs to be at the front of the line for every special teams uh, practice and every special teams uh, unit. Um, be at the front of the line. Be willing to do and whatever position they ask and that and just show show growth and show that you're not making the same mistakes over and over those those are the things that really get you in the doghouses if you you know mr miss the wrong uh blocking assignment or you run you know you're putting the ball on the ground with the with the mesh point or something like that you you can make you can make one the same one mistake, but don't make that same mistake over and over. All right, all right. Well, good advice. I think probably probably for anyone. Tell us uh, uh, in terms of a good season, what does that look like to you? And I'll remind folks, I'm using 60th and 80th percentile. The guests use whatever they want, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about you know how you would describe this qualitatively. But what's a, what's a good and a great season? Yeah, um, I, I would say, you know, number one uh, would be great to either make the team right um, right in week one or be on the pro- practice squad and uh, get a couple elevations for special teams needs. Um, he definitely wants to carve out a role on all four uh, special teams units, um, kick return, punt return, uh, kickoff, punt team. Uh, try to, if it's if it's Gunner or whatever kick returner figure out figure out you know where your best spot is on all all of the units 
and um, and try to make yourself show show enough in the preseason that you get a couple of carries uh, during the season on your on the regular offense. Um, JK and Gus are going to take the the bulk of the carries and Harbaugh, you know, he 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 prefers veterans over rookies, so Justice Hill will be, you know, the the backup behind them most likely, but if if he's able to get a couple of carries here and there, I think um that would be a good season for him. Yeah, I, I'm actually surprised that Justice Hill had 49 carries last year. I would have guessed it was less than that, just off the top of my head, because the typical typical game, I'd say, uh, if the third running back often gets about two carries for the Ravens, might be. Right. So I guess right. it's like, it, it, it might have been slightly more than that this year. I was very similar on a good season. I said avoid practice mistakes to maintain the number four spot on the running back total. Hopefully nobody else comes in and takes that from him, and hopefully – the Ravens don't feel obligated at the end of camp to go out and poach somebody else's practice squad, particularly if if there's an injury or an opening in the top three spots, that they don't go look outside the organization for that guy and that it's that it's yeah. that it's Mitchell, obviously. Um part of the back the discussion as a backup kick and punt return player, I think we we see at practice they they have about six or seven guys doing each of those things. The thing I look for for a kick or punt returner is how well do they get under the ball? So how well do they track it, get under it? How do they catch it? And how do they explode out of the catch? So the first is first is really a case of how quickly are they set up? And the second one, how, how quickly do they explode out of catching the ball? And obviously, if you fumble, you get a bad score, uh, you know, on the on the uh, probably on both. But uh, but anyway, it's a uh, it's something I'd look for. He has he has no history in college, I don't believe. In one of those two is either kick returning or punt returning that he he'd never done, but doesn't mean that mm-hmm. at the pro level he's not going to be somebody they look to for that. Um, I think he, like you said, makes a practice squad, gets some elevations when injuries inevitably strike. Running backs have a lot of nagging one and two week injuries, so there's going to be opportunities. If he's the top of the top mm-hmm. guy on the practice squad, he should get playing time um, and does nothing to hurt his 2024 prospects. So I'm, I think I'm actually setting the bar pretty low. Now it could just be cut. The Ravens could like somebody else on another team better, and that makes up a lot of that sixty percent uh, that is below where I'm setting this bar. Yeah, no, I I agree with all of that. It's, it's exactly right. Yeah. How about a great season? All right, so I said to make the team out of uh, out of training camp and uh, be active as a special teamer all season, and to be able to be that third running back actually beat out Justice Hill for carries and be the third running back on the uh, on the depth chart. Um, and th- that'll obviously get him some touches in the offense. Um, but I think a great season would be to just show enough in practice and games that he can be a very good uh, split carry option for 24 and beyond. Okay, so you're saying be the number two back in 24 and beyond if you're talking about split carries, or do you mean even a part of a three-headed monster there? Um, either a split carry or three-headed monster in 24, yeah. Okay. All right, I, I think that's good. I said makes the team out of camp due to injury or holdout. I think those are the, his best chances to make it, which obviously would not be good for the Ravens if any of their top three guys goes downhill, an important special teams player, and the other two obviously very important to the offense. Here's, I think a lot of his success 
falls to Monken. I think Monken finds a role for him in the offense, which minimizes his pass blocking deficiencies. So he may not get to play third down, or he may, and he's just somewhere else on the field. You have another running back in there. Keaton Mitchell is a you know it's a weird uh, wide receiver situation. Like um, Washington has been playing the last several years with a with a pony backfield, and that doesn't have to happen on third down. That could happen on on first or second down as well. Where you you know you just throw a wrinkle, you throw two running backs at them, allow them to make their choice about how they deploy their defense. And you know some people still don't know this, but the defense deploys second. It's kind of like being the home team in hockey after you know, on a faceoff, you get to put your guys out there second, um, and and that's in theory is an advantage. And one of the things offensive coordinators need to do to combat that is to have a an ambiguous offensive package of your five eligible receivers that doesn't give everything away to the defensive coordinator. And so this is something that, that uh, is, is an option. I mean, if Munkin can find some uses for um, uh, Mitchell in this way, I think it serves multiple purposes. First of all, they get advantages on that play. Second of all, if they have a little bit of success with Mitchell and they have that on tape, that will drive opposing um, uh, advanced scouts absolutely nuts in trying to figure out how to game plan for the Ravens. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Having, having that speed between him and Lamar, that, that could be, that could really be a, a deadly combo in a sidecar if they're able to get, get the, get that going. So Baltimore uh, certainly has had some, uh, some love for small backs. The, the, the guy from when we were kids and you went to Gilman, I don't know if you grew up in Baltimore before that or, or whatnot, but, but Joe Washington, when I was a kid, uh, that might be slightly before you, or was he still with the Redskins at that point? Uh, I think he was with Washington. Um, okay. I, I definitely remember the team. I, I don't, I, I know he played for the Colts. I, I don't know exactly. I don't ever, I, I, so to be honest with you, my only memory of the Colts is them moving, is them leaving in the main flower truck. So I don't okay. remember their players back then. Yeah. So yeah, Joe Washington had his big game in 1978. The, the, the Colts had been outscored 80 to nothing in their first two games. And Joe Washington uh, uh, was with the team. He was their, their, their primary running back in the third game at New England, a horrible rainy night. And the Colts won 34 to 27 and Joe Washington did it all, including returning. He, I think he caught a ran for a touchdown, caught a touchdown and returned a kickoff for a touchdown for the winning score with a couple of minutes left. And and that was uh, really a uh, remarkable thing, but Joe Washington, definitely a shorter guy, lots of speed. They used him in all kinds of different ways. Um, he had a lot of uh, long downfield opportunities as a receiver too, which is something you know we'd love to see Monk and figure out for him. But uh, Dave Meggett would be the slightly more recent guy for for Giants mm-hmm. fans out there. Who yeah, uh, I, I remember Dave Meggett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So last last thing I had for a great season with him, for him would be to score a touchdown that rivals in significance to his dad's touchdown in the 2000 playoff run. So if he does that, I think that guarantees a spot on the roster for 24. So, so, so the, the two plays in, in Ravens history, the mile high miracle and his dad's touchdown are pretty much the only ones that meet that criteria, but, but that's mm-hmm. not extreme, too extreme or anything, but uh, appreciate it, <laughs> yeah. Brandon. That's uh, that would really be cool if he could etch his name into Ravens history in a similar way. Yeah. So why don't we talk about uh, move on and talk about Patrick Queen a little bit? 
Um, he's entering his fourth season. And amazingly, he won't turn 24 until next month. Yeah, um, there's uh, a lot of good and a lot of bad um, to talk about with Patrick Queen in his first couple of seasons. Um, you know, I think a, a couple of the good things that you can talk about are um, he was able to make a lot of splash plays um, in his first couple of seasons um, with sacks and interceptions, um, forced fumbles, and he actually had uh, 19 tackles uh, for losses in his first couple of seasons. So, it, you know, there, there's a lot of bad that goes in those first couple of seasons, but, um, you know, there was some good um, as well. And, you know, to kind of put it in comparison, it, uh, Ray Lewis only in his last uh, 10 seasons only had one season of uh, 10 tackles for losses. Um, and Ray Lewis had six all pros and one defensive player of the year his last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And Patrick Queen has never had less than nine uh, tackles for losses in any of his first three seasons. So it's he, th there is some good, although there was a lot of bad in the in his first couple of years. Yeah, consistently improving player over these three years he's been there. And um, just there's so many things about Patrick Queen that are, that are both frustrating and they're, they're positive, but I'll start with this is that, you know, they drafted him obviously very young. Uh, he was still, I think he was still 20, but he might've just turned 21. Then no, no, he would have been still 20, right? Because it would have been May. So he's yeah. 23 yeah. now would have been three I think years he ago. Turned 21 either during the season or right at the beginning of the season. August. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. okay. so, uh, so anyway, you know, they, they kind of knew there was a problem there. He hadn't played a lot of time in inside linebacker. He had already some great highlights, some splash plays at LSU. Um, but probably should have expected it to be a learning curve. The second thing about the Patrick queen draft was that, um, it was at the time, the high watermark, I'll call it for over draft capitalizing Mike linebackers who were, you know, predicted to wear the green dot. And that was certainly uh, where they thought he was headed at the time. Never, never came to fruition because just Chuck Clark has had it the entire time he's been here. But mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, the, the, the thought was that, that, uh, you know, they had the two Devons were drafted the year before Devin Bush and Devin white of Tampa Bay. Mm -hmm. uh, Devin Bush didn't even get offered a fifth year contract, much like queen is. And, and Devin white did get an extension from, from Tampa Bay. Um, I don't know if they're all that thrilled about the way that's worked out, but they, he did get an extension. Yeah. Um, but Queen has, has definitely had an upward trajectory through through his three-year career to date. Yeah. Um, I've always kind of been in the idea for uh, drafting linebacker, middle linebackers um, in the first round. Don't do it unless you think they're going to be a special player. Um, if they're don't, – don't draft, you know, like you said, Devin Bush, Devin White, or – Patrick Queen in the first round, but draft a Ray Lewis or a CJ Mosley or, you know, a, do you have, do you have a, a special Bobby machine that, that you can pass these players through to determine if they're that guy before you draft them? Is <laughs> that <laughs> really do the trick? Yeah. I <laughs> Just step in yeah, here. <laughs> I wish, yeah. I, I wish you could, you know, you could definitely tell, but yeah. um, it, I mean, I like a, a better, I'd, I'd say if, if you think they have a better than 50% chance of being, a multi-time All-Pro or Pro Bowl player, if that that that's the you know that's the, that, the line for me. 
Fair enough. And and the Ravens certainly have had a lot of success in finding UDFA talent at that inside linebacker position, which would tell you that they probably can go cheap. And then if you look back just to the year before Queen arrived, so Queen was drafted in 2020. What did the Ravens do in 2019? They essentially, they flushed the toilet on the guys they had at inside linebacker. They, uh, Owasso started the season with a green dot. They relegated him to a part-time will, which was, that was where he had really had success with the Ravens previously. Um, uh, Young was traded for uh, Marcus uh, Peters. So they, they really decided what they had there at inside linebacker was not sufficient. And then they, um, uh, they, they went out and got LJ Fort and they went out and got Josh Bynes. And those two guys were fantastic in the defense Mm -hmm. and you know night and day switch in terms of the quality of play there and that 2019 team they were a great offense one of the greatest offenses of all time but they were a very fine defense as well you know they're one of the um it's hard to say if they're one of the best ravens units of all time because that's a very deep group um but they were in the top half i would say of ravens defenses ever yeah absolutely absolutely yeah and and yeah Bynes and ford really came in and put that put the you know elevated that defense even though as individual players they're probably below average linebackers they they made the the whole entire defense better for whatever reason it was very it's 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 weird to see that type of improvement off of just kind of modest players yeah it's you know one of the things i always say that i think it showed is that how much more important instincts are than raw speed and I, I I forget because I used to quote it a lot of just what Josh Bynes' 40 time was. It was like 484 or something like that. I mean, and it, and it was a decade ago that he ran that. So, you know, he's not the best anymore, but the guy had much better instincts than that. And he knew where the football was going and 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 uh, did a good job with that. And that's why he hung around the league as, as long as he did. But Fort was a really good pass coverage guy. And he, you know, he handled depth of drop really well. He understood what was going on between level two and level three better than any linebacker that the Ravens had between CJ Mosley and Roquan. So I'd say that's a fairly long stretch to, to be the, the, the best pass defending inside linebacker. Um, and it's just, a, it, you know, those two guys, it was a remarkable season of rebuilding the defense, you know, with Peters and the two nose tackles and everything they did that year um, to rebuild. That was fairly remarkable, but uh, uh, anyway, can't count on that every Absolutely. year. Big news for Patrick Queen this offseason. Um, the fifth-year option was declined. So the Ravens, uh, you know, have been talking about a willingness to negotiate a long-term deal. Um, I think that's probably legitimate, but I think they want, uh, you know, a long-term deal at the price they have in mind. And Queen, of course, is going to want a long-term deal at the price he has in mind. And um, there's also, there should be, with a with a year of play here to go, some divisible benefit on the table so that Queen avoids that injury risk and the Ravens get a slightly better bargain uh, than they would if they paid him a year from now. Sure. Um, I, yeah, like I I wonder... Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. How serious any kind of negotiations are between Queen and the Ravens. Um, just because you're, you're paying Roquan $20 million a year mm-hmm. and you're, you're paying Lamar 52 that's a lot of money. Um, and I, I can't say that Queen is a player that's proven himself to be invaluable to the team at this point. Um, you know, he his play, especially in the second half of last year when Roquan got here, went up in an even greater level than at the beginning of the year where we saw an improvement from him. But I, I can't say that he has it would be best in a team building situation to be paying him probably anywhere close to what he probably wants. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess we'll see, but yeah. I feel similarly about that, that there's only so much they can put in there. And, and as every contract right now is going to be looked at with a great degree of scrutiny and the big three that I'm aware of, and there's probably more guys than that who really want extensions now have been a little bit vocal about it are Kevin Zeitler, Patrick Queen and J.K. Dobbins, and there just is not room to pay everybody. I mean, they have the, the organization has mm-hmm. most of the cornerstone contracts, if not all, that they can really afford right now. If you look at the, we had Brad Spielberger from PFF on a couple of days ago. So this that that show may have already posted. Go back and listen to it, folks out there. He was terrific, by the way, in terms of explaining a methodology for looking at three year cap help. And it looks at the quality of the player also, who's going to be a free agent and whatnot. A couple of things really stood out. And one is that the Ravens are in terrible position in terms of their three-year cap health. Um, 27th out of 32 teams uh, by one metric. And the other is that they have a tremendous amount of free agents uh, coming to the end of the line, specifically in 2023, uh, who will be free agents before the 24 season um, that are going to be leaving the team. And, and, replacing those guys is going to be a bear. I mean, this is a year where you really wish the Ravens had 12 draft picks. And unfortunately, it'd probably be 25 that they have a bunch of draft picks from from losing uh, a bunch of compensatory players this time around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree um, that they, they have to be really smart with who they pay and who they don't. Um, and it's it's going to be tough for them. Yeah, I think, you know, I do think they'll point to each other and, you know, say Zeitler, I don't see how they're going to pay Zeitler because, you know, he's a quality player. But again, I think at the end of his career like this, you, you play the game of hearts ever? No. You know, never never <laughs> played it. Okay. So so you, you, it's it's a uh, uh, it's, it's fairly popular game. Some some people know it, some people don't. But the, each each holding each heart at the end of the game is, is worth minus one point. And holding the queen of spades is worth minus 13 points. And so sometimes this analogy, I'm sure, is lost on people. But you really don't want to get caught, caught holding the queen of spades, is how I put it, with free agent con- or sorry contracts at the end of players' careers because they often end with a pay-for-two, play-for-one deal. So if you if you have a, a – a, um, uh, you, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I think because Yonda was kind of like exactly. that, uh, at yeah. the at the end of his season, yeah. And mm-hmm. and Mason and Reed before him, Reed had several two year deals negotiated at the end of his career consecutively, and and uh, and not 
not at one after the other, but they're overlapping twos, like Lego pieces. <laughs> so they're, uh, uh, and, the, and with um, uh, Mason, some of the same things. So, uh, you know, you, you don't want to get caught in that situation. Zeitler still has some career runway left, I think, which is good. Good for him. Good for the Ravens. That makes this a, a kind of a prove-it year for him. Now, no 12th-year veteran wants a prove-it year, but on the other hand, it's, it's kind of a good thing for the Ravens. Uh, he has a big year. The Ravens will get a comp pick probably for him, and not that they're going to be fairly flush or up against the maximum of four comp picks, but they uh, they should uh, get some value for him. And they, they stand a much better chance, maybe more importantly, to just get a big year out of him this year. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. They, and then they have um, a few uh, guard prospects that mm-hmm. should be able to fill in and at least be average guys. Um, they they got the um, they got uh, Mal. Salah, Salah, uh, Salah, Sala. yeah. yeah, and um, and they also got Voorhees, um, mm-hmm. so hopefully he can uh, come in, step in, and be a decent guard for him uh, right off the right at the beginning of the year next year. Yeah, a- absolutely. I'm very excited, by the way, about that. And I don't mind going down this rabbit hole a little bit, even though we're talking about Patrick Queen. But the Ravens have a tremendous record of um, finding value in distressed guards. And interior offensive linemen in particular, occasionally a tackle, you know, Rick Wagner falls into this category, but, but in particular, it's interior offensive linemen where they unlock the value that other teams couldn't. And they have got a, a collection of guys right now who might all fit that category. So Sala, you know, could be fast tracked. Um, I think he probably has some problems right now. I'd say strength might be the biggest issue. He's got all the size you would want, but, but as far as functional strength goes, that was a problem when, when, you know, I first looked at him after the draft um, in terms of the uh, they have John Simpson, who is built exactly how you would put together a guard if you were drawing him. Um, but on the other hand, he uh, has had 17 penalties in 1545 NFL snaps, more than one percent of the wow. plays. And you played on the defensive line. So, you know, if you encroach and you run into the other guys think it's a less important penalty than an offsides penalty, for example, because right. encroachment is a pre-snap mm-hmm. foul. That's an automatic five yards. Yeah, it plays I, dead. It's five. Yeah. Five yard mm-hmm. loss. Yeah. But if you go offsides and your teammate gets a sack or even you get a sack, that sack is then nullified. If, or looking at the other if, way, it's, it's, yeah, it's, or the quarterback says free a, play. Give up a 50 yard, <laughs> yeah, get a 50 yard play, then right. they get a 50 yard play. So, yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. anyway, offensive line, the theory is the same. You don't want to give the defense those options to, to decline your penalties. Well, Simpson's penalties, two false starts, 13 offensive holding, and two personal fouls. That is a really, really bad set of penalties there. So, <laughs> That's so yeah. but Simpson is, I mean, is a guy yeah. that, that, you know, if they find a lot of that is technique based and they probably already think that's the case if they sign them at all. And it's not just, he's getting beat all the time. And that's why these penalties are occurring. Uh, I don't think they'd have signed him last year if they didn't think there was a way to fix that. So they, they probably believe in their own coaching and, and, and hopefully you get that. And then uh, Ben yeah. Cleveland, of course, they haven't figured out how to fix him, but he's their own He's their own guy. And I know they're, they're, there's probably some lingering frustration between uh, in the way of how he showed up for camp. But, I mean, he's their own guy, too. He's their, their own, you know, son. Let's, let's fix that yeah. guy. Get, <laughs> you know? get, yeah, get him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get him out on the field. Yeah, Joe, Joe D, he, you know, he's one of the best. And 
he's he's got some work uh work to do on some of these guys to get get them ready for next year and this yeah. year too. very yeah. very much so and you know with the with the left tackle uh situation being what it is the guy who is most intriguing to me is probably Simpson because he he has a, a arm length over 34 inches and I know he struggled a lot in terms of penalties if you clean that up and it's not just a case of him getting beat, it's maybe something about, you know, outside the frame or his line mates or lack of continuity of this. But if you, if he might be a guy who could fill in on an emergency basis at left tackle, the Ravens do not really have that on the roster right now. Patrick McCary is a long step down from Ronnie Stanley in terms of, of who mm-hmm. you want at that position. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. This is a huge year for Stanley to see, Mm-hmm. where he is long term because he i think he could be he could potentially be gone after 24 or they could extend him and he could be a raven for the rest of his career so yeah, yeah. and 23 actually after 23 the option is there to cut him they have about 8.3 million in savings before 24 so he, he could be cut and i think the only way it happens is if he has a you know one of these years where he's having trouble getting on the field on a regular basis if if you know, the injury comes back or, or it's, it's uh, the effects linger, or he's just not the same player. He was, um, he's, he's still a very good pass blocker. He had, he's a completely different run blocker than he was when he was really at the top of his game. And honestly, if he could maintain that, I'd say you, you at least keep him for one more year um, I, I, at that level, because the savings is not enough to, you know, go out and rebuild the left tackle position. But Whenever they decide to do it, it's an enormous commitment of draft capital, probably, or an enormous signing to go out and get that guy. So you gulp down hard when you have to do it. Yeah, left tackles don't grow on trees, and he's a good one. So you you definitely want to try to keep him uh, for the rest of his career, or at least you know most of it. Um, and and you can really see the difference um, in the offense when he plays and when he doesn't. I mean, mm-hmm. just uh, this past year. The games that he played in, you could see, you know, more efficiency. They could move the ball better. And when he wasn't out on the field, you know, for, you know, the other games, he, you saw the offense struggle. So he, he's a left tackle is probably the second most important position on the offense. And mm-hmm. he's, when he's on there, you, he, he is an impact. He's an impactful player. Yeah. Absolutely. So we would talk deeper, more deeply about Ronnie Stanley, but we're going to get back to Patrick Queen here for for a moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. so, a lot, several different things. I really want to talk about this because I've often been, you know, fairly um, critical of Patrick Queen's play. I think that's fair to say. But he took a, a big step forward in coverage. Seven point six yards per target doesn't look great on paper. A ninety six point three opposing passer rating. But two interceptions, two TDs, didn't give up as many big plays as Roquan did, actually. And, and he, he, it's an area that he definitely took a step forward in in 2022 and, and an area which has been just causing me to throw my arms up in the air and honestly causing a lot of his teammates to go over to him after the play and make funny gestures to him uh, you know, during his first couple of years. Yeah. Um, last year, really, everything got better. Um, I think his first couple of years, he, he really lacked the physicality to play middle linebacker. Um, he, like, I think the most basic thing a, a middle linebacker can do is read a run play, get off your block, and tackle the running back for three yards or less. And 
there were times he couldn't, he can't get off blocks. There were times where he'd hit the running back in the hole and the running back would drag him, you know, a couple more, two or three more yards. Um, he'd miss tackles. He would, it, and it, it, all of it was really, you know, a physicality issue. He's a smaller running uh, linebacker. I think he was 220 pounds or something like that coming out of college, I think. And that's, that's pretty undersized. And, um, you know, to go up against guards that are 320, 330 pounds and hit a running back with that's coming on a full head of speed, full head of speed is just, that's a, that, that, that's really tough. And he really kind of lacked that physicality. Um, but he always showed the knack of, for making big plays. He, he could get in the backfield. He could knife in. I, I mean, I think it, most, that was one of the more consistent things. Once a game, he could knife into the backfield right at the snap and tackle the running back for a four yard loss, or maybe he misses the tackle, but he disrupts Turns the play. Turns around, yeah. Yeah, another teammate, you know, makes the stop for a loss and he could get in, get sacks. And I mean, you, the big, the, the big plays he could make, but just the basic, you know, assignments of a linebacker, he was just not good at. Um, and, you know, you, you've talked plenty about him in coverage and you know, the, the, the base, the basics of the position just weren't, you know, he just wasn't good enough at. Yeah. It, it, it definitely has taken a long time to click. I think that he, he improved this last year. Those two interceptions are really good. And, you know, he had additional chances for interceptions that he didn't collect. You know, on one on one hand, that's bad that he's not that he's not converting his opportunities. You want to see a high percentage of conversion of your of your PDs always. On the other hand, he's in the right spot. That's a big change in in terms of what's going on, and you you, you know you have to applaud that. Uh, pick six right up the right sideline versus one team, and I'm forgetting who it was, but it was New England. New England. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say early the, in the season. Yeah, on the on the end zone. Yeah, I remember. That. Yeah, it was it was an easy pick six. It would have been a well. 95 he, he had had 90, 95 yards yeah. who knows if somebody might have caught him but it was he would have gone a long way and yeah. he just dropped that but it, one thing that i do give him credit for there was uh the game against cincinnati he uh and it, this goes to his film study he um he saw something um that cincinnati was doing some formation or something that he was doing and right before the play he immediately barked to the other linebackers He's made a gesture like move, move this way, and he moved to his right, and he stuck. And Joe Burrow threw an interception right into his chest, and you you love to see that play because that play was made on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night, and while he's looking at tape and not, you know, just kind of a whim on Sunday night. That that's day. you know, that's really a great point. I don't know if I if I completely relate it to film study in his case. It actually might be being on the practice field with Joe Burrow in college that where he lives. So it might have been on a Tuesday morning or Tuesday afternoon kind of thing. That, uh, that uh, but anyway, that's it was a great play, and it's the kind of thing that that you know, linebackers when they start to pick up tendencies is when they're starting to pick up a lot of the level two to level three stuff that's happening behind them, and you can see if watch Roquan's head pre snap. He's not focused on only the cues on the man right in front of him. If he's if he's got an assignment where he's wide of the formation in particular, like covering a running back who's split wide, um, 
he's looking to the other side of the field for threats. He's looking, you know, how are these routes going to going to cross? He's trying to figure out, okay, what combination is is working here, and what spots going to give me the best chance to be there for either two routes or or to to erase a route that that they're not thinking I can I can make a play on. And uh, I just I'm. What what Roquan did didn't really show up as much as in his own coverage statistics. I thought Queen, in in a lot of ways, um, you know, showed up very well with with what he did in twenty two. But love them playing together, and and part of it is just mm-hmm. uh, Queen getting a more natural set of responsibilities as a chase and cleanup guy on that will side, as opposed to being the primary block shedder as the Mike. Who's got to get in there? Sometimes against a pulling guard, nobody likes that. Sometimes it's the first, the first option for a right tackle who's trying to seal the edge on a power play. You just got multiple ways that you that you're going to have to shed a block, and it's going to be hard for you if you're Patrick Queen as the Mike linebacker, where it can be a lot easier as the will to work off another player's movements. Exactly. Um, he he needs to be a uh, will linebacker for. Definitely this year, but for the rest of the rest of his career, no, uh, wherever he plays, he he he's not a strong linebacker. He he, mm-hmm. he he's just not going to be very good at getting off of blocks and you know, kind of stopping a stopping a running back in the hole. Um, I mean, that's something that Roquan is very good at. Is just he 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 can be that missile where he could just slam right into that running back. Queen's not that player. But he's a guy that he's got a ton of quickness and he's got good instincts. He, and he, I mean, he can get in the backfield and tackle a guy for a loss. And that, that is, you know, that those are good plays. And he played, played to his strengths. And those, those are, those are the strengths of him. It's, yeah. Don't put him at middle linebacker anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I think that's, I think he's done with the Ravens, but it'll be an interesting thing if, in contract negotiates, it comes up whether or not he's a Mike or a Will. Not with the Ravens, because obviously the Ravens are going to going to have him at Will. But any other team that he goes to, and you know, he 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 says, "Well, I can wear the green dot. I can be the Mike." I, and and um, you know, I think it's it's could be more difficult for him to get the absolute top dollars out of the inside linebacker market because he might not be a. Um, well, I mean, there are probably less teams, period, that want to keep a guy on the field for three downs now at the will spot. That's normally the the place where you um, exchange out for the dime safety uh, that, that, right. that comes in. So if you're if you're going to play with a dime back system, that's not ideal for Patrick Queen. And if it, if he were to do such a thing, he'd want to be the green dot there, where he's a two down will and a one down Mike. And you know, uh, Chris Board and some other players have been that kind of player for the Ravens, where they they move over a slot um, uh, mm-hmm. t- to uh, to play that Mike role on third down and have a safety drop in next to them, and so it really ends up being your two down Mike Thumper who drops off the field for your for your dime back. I I could see that, but I, I I it's it's hard for me to see a path to a huge contract here for um, Queen given the inherent places that he's shown value as a raven right exactly um i and you know part of for patrick queen is uh a big thing for the ravens is figuring out what you're going to do with kyle hamilton mm-hmm. and I, I personally i think if you were to build a dime uh backer in the uh 
in a lab, it would come out looking like Kyle Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, great instincts. He can blitz. He can. He's physical, and he's six four. And all of all of those things is it, just a perfect dime back. I mean, put him in the middle of the field, twelve yards, twelve yards uh, behind the line of scrimmage, and try, dare a quarterback to throw in an intermediate zone around there is. Mm-hmm is just asking for trouble. And I, I think probably, you know, they'll, they'll continue uh, in the nickel this year. And, but I think they really ought to be trying to phase into a dime on most passing uh, situations in 24 and beyond. And, and, and obviously in early downs, you figure out, you know, if Hamilton's a better strong safety or nickel corner, but um, yeah, yeah. Like I, I would love to see them, you know, moved in more time uh, over the next year. You, you want any time limitations here? Because I don't want to take you down the second no. rabbit hole. Okay, fantastic. So oh, no. this <laughs> rabbit, rabbit hole number two is is probably number four or something today. But if you're trying to build a team economically defensively, having a dime linebacker rotation with a two down will or even two one down wills. They, 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 the Ravens did that with McLean and Ellerby for a couple of years where they would play, you know, first down McLean, second down and long Ellerby, and then third down a dime back. But anyway, you, you can, you can build that a couple of different ways, but platooning at, at the weak side linebacker spot is as efficient as it gets in terms of per dollar value you get out of that spot. And I, I've, the Ravens obviously know this because Ozzie Newsom has this extraordinary history of drafting dimebacks over the years that, you know, he always knew that he could get for a, for a sixth round pick. He'd get a very capable safety. You know, I, I often say on this show that, that your third best coverage safety is almost always a better coverage player than your second best coverage inside linebacker. And they bring up those skills into the box. They understand what's going on behind them naturally because that's where they normally see it from. Is from from the back end, and you know when Anthony Levine did that, or Haruki Nakamura, or um, uh, Corey Harris would be another good one. Ralph Staten, he actually ended up playing on the back end a fair amount when when he was a team, or um, Anthony Mitchell, who played dime back for the Ravens for for one primarily. Uh, you know, it's just very exciting to 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 um, to get that kind of production out of a lot less. Um, dollars. And also I think you, you end up with a lot less injury risk because, you know, your three down unicorn linebacker goes down. There's no solution for that other than to build, you know, a three man platoon there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they can be, yeah. Middle, middle round picks. I, I, I mean, we're probably seeing it a little bit now. They drafted Simpson in the third round uh, probably to be queen in all likelihood be to be Queens replacement. And um, you, you still have Geno Stone, who was a six-round pick, and mm-hmm. you, he'll if if they do end up re-signing him, he's not going to make a lot of money, two or three million dollars probably, or they'll go back to uh, middle-round safety or and you know to be the next uh, to be the next rotation. So yeah, exactly. You're it, it it is a great way to save money when you're especially if you're going to spend a lot of resources at, at corner and pass rush, which is, you know, the high profile positions that, you know, require those resources. Yeah. Or quarterback say like this. <laughs> so yeah, quarterback. Let's <laughs> so, just think about the defense. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> 
Um, let's talk a little bit more about Queens 22 because I want to get through some of this. The tackling improved overall, but he still has a 16.5% career missed tackle rate. It improved to 14.2% in 22. That's still not good enough. And, and it's kind of unfortunate because it looked like he basically completely turned the corner at midseason. He now I want to get this right because PFF and PFR slightly differ on the on the missed tackle totals. But in a five game span, he had one missed tackle by PFF and zero missed tackles by PFR, and that's over a, a thirty eight or thirty nine tackle stretch. So that's remarkable for anybody to I mean to go, to go over thirty eight. I mean that's like a if if you play craps, that's a long craps roll without a seven is what I've got to say about that. And I, Sevens happen about one time in six, and that's about what how often Patrick Queen misses tackles in his career. <laughs> so it's actually a pretty good analogy mm-hmm. in this case. But that's a that's a that's a that's a hell of a role there to 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 uh, go as long as he did. Um, and then unfortunately, he had a four missed tackle game that capped that off, and uh, and uh, did not tackle well the rest of the season. In fact, he had eleven misses the rest of the season for a seventeen and a half percent missed wow. tackle rate down the stretch. So. Really sad to see that because it, it was a it was a regression in a lot of ways to to his career norms. Yeah, yeah, it's something he's always struggled with, um, and it's at this point you really wonder if you're just going to have to accept him to he's that he's going to miss tackles um, no matter what because mm-hmm. it, it's something he, he's shown his entire career, and you know it's. I, I can't put my finger on what it is. I, I think it's physicality. He's just not that. And sometimes a linebacker just has to be that missile and just put your head in there and just smack the smack the ball carrier and, and knock him and drive through him. And he's never been that guy. Um, yeah, I, so yeah. I, I agree with that. And and you see, I see think I see more of the f- lack of physicality in the inability to shed blocks, which occasionally shows up. The other thing that happens in tackling is not a good good form tackler. It does not use his arms well. And if you talk about two different guys who do it completely differently, Kyle Hamilton and him, Kyle Hamilton, his arms, you might as well have eight of them, the way he tackles and and the way they you know they hold on to a ball carrier and, and disadvantage him. Mm-hmm. Queen uses his, uses his pads and his shoulder a lot of times just to try and knock a player down, and he's not big enough to, to necessarily do that in, against all NFL players or on all plays. And some of those turn into good plays for the Ravens because you mentioned earlier in the show that there's there's different types of missed tackles. Oftentimes you you can retract that ball carrier in a way that makes him a sitting duck for the next guy. It can even be more positive than that in terms of potentially causing a turnover, in terms of doing it in the backfield. Mm-hmm. Letting the quarterback escape is bad from a sack, but it's usually very good when the, when the quarterback has to expend a lot of energy to, to avoid a sack, and he's often – the best result is probably going to be an incomplete on those plays. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, it, 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 yeah, not all missed tackles are created equally, but um, yeah, it, obviously all, all those situations are, are kind of the best case missed tackle situations, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, his most important contributions came as a pass rusher. You've talked about that a little bit either, earlier too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he, one of the things I really loved down the stretch was how he and Roquan were constantly playing games with the quarterback at the line of scrimmage. And there was a lot of um, one man in the A-gap, one man back 
situations and that wasn't necessarily the way they came but sometimes it was mm-hmm. and so you, you you would often have the the you know roquan would be up at the line of scrimmage he dropped the coverage and queen would knife in from a different angle and roquan's present uh, presence obviously is upsetting how the linemen are thinking they need to make their blocks and and the running back for that matter as well and so you you end up with an, an advantaged situation for queen in terms of um, making his run into the backfield uh, under the the example I've kind of given. It did go both ways, by the way. Roquan got some uh, advantageous right. positions out of Queen being in the A-gap. Right, exactly. And it's great to see when your teammates, when teammates like that kind of have an understanding of, of mm-hmm. knowing where, you know, which which one's doing which, and they can play games with the offense because offenses rely on tendencies. Like, Probably before Roquan was there, they they knew if Queen's at the line of scrimmage, he's going to be the one that's coming or you know, something like that. And for him to for them to, you know, play those games and make make an offense guess and they don't know who's coming and which one is staying um, is great. Like, I I kind of think back to um, Ed Reed and Will Demps. I think they played yes. uh, rock, paper, scissors to uh, figure out which one was going to blitz, and they they could do yeah, they could do that because they did, whatever one is going to blitz, the other one knows exactly where to go for the you know to be in the right position. By the way, just that's just a great moment in Ravens history. It's from that 2004 game against the Jets that was originally it's it's the the dinosaur precursor to sound FX where all, you know, a bunch of players were mic'd up and Scott Garceau. And I think also that the, um, jets play by play guy, uh, were, were, uh, mic'd up, but they had basically all people who were there at the stadium, no narration of it or anything. Otherwise just a fantastic show, but seeing Dempson and Reed play rock, paper, scissors on the field was hilarious. And, uh, it seemed like no matter who was going to win that, it was going to be Reed, like blitzing on the play, <laughs> but it's but that's another <laughs> another point. And then the, the 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 play everybody remembers in that is the game the play that really turned the game around with the Jets leading fourteen nothing. Lamont Jordan, a Maryland player, rolled out to the right on a halfback and, option, and, and and of course the knucklehead pass. Yep, <laughs> right to Herman Ed Reed. says no, that's Ed Reed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 and yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Loving it. Loving it. Um, it's amazing. There's, you know, we know NFL films is doing a great job when they imprint on our memories like this. I mean, it's not, it, it, it wasn't just a play in a game to us. It's all of that other stuff that went along with it, with the mic'd up, but they're, they are, they are part of our culture. They are in our heads at this point in terms of you know, yeah. knowing how to do it. I think, I think it, 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 it's really good to see, you see the players, you know, as, you know, just as more people and personalities, as opposed to yeah. like I, I I played Madden, you know, like they're just you know just mindless, you know, maneuver. They're just mindless, you know, players on in a in a video game, and they they just move, you know, automatically, almost kind of like robots without any, and you know, being able to see you know the human side, that personality that they have, you know the the bonds that they share as teammates it, it, it's great to see yeah yeah it's it's a uh, it's very cool thing if you have not seen that it's probably out there on youtube that oftentimes somebody puts it up on youtube and then they take it down and then they put it back up just take a look for it 2004 game of the week ravens jets and you'll uh, i i'm sure find it it's a great watch if you if you haven't done it uh 
what else do I have to say about Patrick Queen here? Do we miss anything before we get it a good uh, and great? No, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think we got it all. Yeah. So what's a good season from your perspective for Patrick Queen? Yeah, I just said um, continue to build off the synergy that was built uh, with him and Roquan at the end of the season. Um, they both played, you know, very well uh, down the stretch and made a lot of plays. And you just want to consider you, you just want to see them kind of continue to build on that. Um, you know, it, and continue to improve as a uh, defender in space and, you know, try to become just a more sure tackler um, is you know, important for him and kind of what I would want to see is him just kind of take more chances, uh, shooting gaps and uh, guessing plays uh, because you have such a solid shore player in Roquan that can uh, make the tackle or, or clean up. If you disrupt the play, um, just continue to, you know, kind of take those chances and make, make more plays in the backfield. That's that's a great one. I should have had that on my list. I didn't. I, I have maintains 2022 coverage advances with better L2, L3 awareness. Pass rush rate is similar, but not necessarily quite as high. I had a very good pass rush rate this last year. Missed tackle rate, I want that to decline to the 11 to 13% range. I'm not unreasonable about this. At least I don't think I am. I think Roquan's was under 8% last year. Um, only a handful of linebackers in the NFL are, are quite that good. But, uh, you know, I Ideally, Patrick Queen get his, get his missed tackle rate under under 10%, but I'll take 11 to 13 in terms of a step forward for this fourth year. Continues to benefit from Roquan. You covered that. Improves uh, in most areas, but here's one of the problems is that Patrick Queen has improved so much since his rookie year that incremental gains to who he is are going to be more difficult to come by. So he's it's, it's definitely going to be harder to make the same kind of advance that he did each of his first two years uh, in terms of the quality of his play. And I think a lot of this will depend on the overall quality of the Ravens defense. So he could be a pro bowl candidate. So let's hope he's a pro bowl candidate because that probably means very good things for the defense as a whole. I don't think he will get there unless the Ravens as a defensive unit look not as good, but nearly as good as they did in the second half after Roquan arrived. And if they do, um, you know, that's going to be very exciting for everybody. The, the, The Ravens will probably have multiple pro bowlers on that defensive side. Um, you know, it, it, Hamilton, Williams, Queen, Roquan, um, you know, players like Owe, um, uh, Humphrey might all be candidates in a, in a season if they, uh, uh, if they have a big defensive year as a whole. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. How, how about a great year? Um, I, I kind of just said, um, Turn uh, turn into one of the top five uh, five to ten weak side linebackers in the league. Have um, what would be uh, Pro Bowl to even potentially second team All Pro um, season at, at linebacker. Um, multiple interceptions. Try to get up to three to four interceptions plus uh, four to five sacks. Um, you know, be and be a key reason why the Ravens are a top ten run defense and pass defense. And um, you know, I last is make the Ravens think long and hard about letting him go in free agency. If he there you go has a great season, you know, make make the Ravens you know really consider maybe using a franchise tag on him and or you know figuring out a way to keep him. Yeah, yeah that's it. That's I I like yours uh, uh, in a lot of ways. 
Uh, Mine isn't nearly as eloquent. I say makes another unforeseen improvement. And I'm not picky about this. It could be a sharp increase in pressure rate, a tackle rate improvement, turnovers generated, block shedding. You know, if he suddenly was able to figure that out in year four, it'd be somewhat frustrating because the Ravens, you know, then wouldn't have picked up the fifth year option for him. But on the other hand, I'd love to see it. Love to see it happen. Uh, Results in a top shelf season. The Ravens defense maintains its overall second half dominance. Um, and with offensive improvements leads to a playoff run. He's considered for the Pro Bowl, but honestly, whether or not he makes it is not important to me, um, and he's rewarded with a big contract after the season. He's going to be an inside linebacker signing his free first free agent deal, his second contract at age 24. I can't even tell you how unusual it is to even have a 25-year-old second contract player who is a potential star. It's very rare. So uh, Tony Jefferson was a 25-year-old second contract player. For Queen to do it at 24, and he'll be 25 when the season starts, but still to be 24 when he signs his contract, um, it, it'll, it, it could be it's – a, it's a very big point on his side to go with some other questions that he's got to answer. Yeah, like he's, he's going to be in line for a decent contract, whether it's from the Ravens or another team. I, I think it, at this point it's most likely another team um, unless he really just kind of elevates himself to just an invaluable piece that uh, the Ravens can't afford to lose. Um, but, I mean, being so young, like he can – I mean, he could sign a, a decent-sized three-year deal and – still be 27 28 on a potential third third contract so um he he could potentially get a couple bites of the apple if he plays well this year and then you know just kind of continues and in, in, in that direction over the you know next couple of years yeah that's that's a really good point it's a three-year deal almost becomes a form of prove it deal for him if he thinks i'm worth more than 10 million but 30 million over three years is what i'm getting as offers this time um, he might actually decide he wants to shorten the term of his own contract from say five years, 50 million to three years, 30 million. If that, you know, if the team is amenable to, to, to that, right. um, yeah, it's, that's an interesting, uh, uh, proposition for him to try and figure that out. Uh, just a ton of fun talking with you about this, Brandon. Uh, we're going to make sure we have you all on for at least a defense review during the season. If you're up for it, I, I, you know, I get less takers on defense, but I sense that you might be good with that. Yeah, I'm I'm fine. I'll I'd be happy to. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Outstanding. Tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at uh Brandon Croxton five and uh season ticket holder and I'll be at training camp uh for a few few days as well. So yeah, love to talk Ravens. All right. Outstanding, Brandon. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, there's still time. It's July. There's still a little bit dead time ahead of us. Hit me up with a DM on Twitter. I'll get right back to you about a potential show idea you have. Uh, Brandon, thanks again for coming on. All right. Thank you. Love to be here. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. 
At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.